A student once asked me if women got pregnant by biting the head off of a stork. She then acted out what that might look like. While stifling a laugh, I recognized her rationale. This story always reminds me of how kids are trying to make sense of their world and develop connections. I'm Raleigh. And I'm Danielle. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. All right, so I know you know the answer to this because you know this story, but what do you think that her rationale was for that concept of a stork, a woman biting the head off of a stork? Well, I remember during um, any cartoon that you watch, whenever a baby was delivered, it was via stork in the sky. Yes, correct. And so babies were not actually produced out of a human body. They were dropped from the sky. The biting the head off part, I think just had to find that way to make the connection between dropping from the sky and getting into the stomach of the of the mother. So, um, fabulous story, fabulous rationale there. Fabulous I, child. Fabulous child, correct. Uh, but I also think, you know, if you're if you're not super in tune with the interests or the mindset or the way that some of your students think or your kids think, you probably would think that was just absolutely ludicrous. And who knows? In some places, maybe that gets. Uh, some kind of consequence that's not so positive because it is such a, as we like to say, unexpected thing to say. When you realize that she was making these connections and trying to really relate to that and had these questions about how does this happen? I mean, essentially it gets to the the whole, how are babies made? And then I quickly said, you know what? That's a question you could talk to your mom about. Um, (laughs) I wasn't prepared to answer that question, especially as we were totally not in a situation that related to why babies would be born. Not a topic we were talking about, not a topic that we were about to talk about. So in the moment it really wasn't something i'm actually pretty sure it was walking back from the cafeteria that is correct (laughs) so so not a time that i would be thinking about uh procreation but i did appreciate her thought process on that i mean it was pretty great yeah Uh, many of her thought processes yes is that right yes uh, uh, were really interesting and i think if it was it could be taken so many different ways Mm -hmm. and i think you know trying to understand her brain a little bit more to your point of understanding the real world connections and how do you teach kids mm-hmm. real world connections in that way yeah how's it going it's good it's yeah. good a little hot in the northeast a little hot in the northeast up here uh, a little trouble getting the equipment together today yeah um <laughs> yep we were supposed to start recording about an hour ago. Yeah. And, uh, well, I, you know what I will say after 10 episodes, this being the 11th, I'm glad that you figured out that one side of your microphone receives, um, input really well. And when it's flipped the other way, not so much. Yeah. So for those of you who have listened to all 10 episodes, one, thank you so much. Yep. We are forever, forever we grateful. We're grateful if you tell your friends about us. Um, but two, there have been a couple of episodes That's fine. <laughs> or anyone. Yeah, anyone. really anyone. Um, if, uh, some episodes I may have sounded a little off or far away is because my microphone was backwards and, and not because I made her sit outside of the room to, to record so <laughs> contrary to pop with the microphone belief. inside the room yeah. or I'm not yelling across the room to your microphone yeah I, I, I was talking into a microphone the whole time it was just not facing the right way yeah so I think did we just go from amateurs to professionals exactly. that? Yep. We, went, we, went, we went very we went to it podcast classy about, it only took you about 45 minutes to figure out how to screw it all together today too but that's fine um we've you know we've had a little bit of a, a break um that you know we're a little off of our cycle um 
and we just have had some you know life life situations that have gotten in the way so we are back trying to record on a schedule again and and hope to bring content more you know more uh, consistently every two weeks like we were doing so we appreciate your patience um we certainly aren't stopping and we are glad you didn't forget about us and if you have ideas or suggestions we're always looking to expand um, something we thought might that might be engaging and uh, fun today was to talk a little bit about our stories um, and make some connections to some of the things that we've been talking about over the last 10 episodes. Um, and I always feel when I listen to podcasts, and Raleigh, I don't know how you feel, but the storytelling is probably some of my favorite part mm-hmm. parts, some of yeah. my favorite parts. And so I always, um, I always love to hear you tell stories about some of our former students mm-hmm. Um, and how we can learn and grow from them. So I thought we thought this would be a fun episode. Yeah. So. And obviously it's still all occurring in a school setting. So there's that. That's true. That's know? true. Yeah. So um, where do we want to start? Well, I think, you know, we were talking about how we don't want to necessarily only focus on some of the more extreme behaviors or things that get kids placed in a much more restrictive setting. We certainly have those stories as well. But maybe things that are occurring that we may have seen in a restrictive setting that could absolutely be occurring day to day in another less restrictive, a public school or a, um, you know, maybe a, a collaborative type of program or a sub-separate. So I think you had a uh, chicken patty story. I don't know if you feel like talking about the chicken patty. Oh yeah, we can start with that one. Okay, it was that or the sensory chewing. Uh, but let's oh, start. Oh, all right. Well, let's go chicken patty. And okay. I mean, maybe it's a nice segue. Chicken patty, <laughs> then the chewing. So we'll start. You know, least offensive. Yeah, yeah. And get more offensive. I guess I don't know. Yeah. So we had this student who was obsessed with chicken patties at lunch. It always occurred same day. Mm-hmm. And um, as it should, lunches are cyclical at mm-hmm. most schools, mm-hmm. right? So every third Tuesday, you may have some of my favorites, uh, pasta primavera. Oh, okay. Wait, is it pasta primavera? What was it that we had the whole wheat petty pasta? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the baked ziti. The baked ziti or the cheese breadsticks. Cheesy breadsticks. Anyway, <laughs> this student happened to really. No more. <gasps> no more cheesy breadsticks. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Supply chain issues. So speaking of supply chain mm. issues, good chicken segue. Tea, chicken patty. Um, the student was very much looking forward to the chicken patty, and due to food supply chain issues because of COVID, uh, it was not available, not to anyone else's knowledge that it wasn't available. And she went in to go get her chicken patty and threw a fit because there were no chicken patties mm-hmm. in a lunchroom. When you say threw a fit, what did this look like? Uh, yelling, stomping mm-hmm. her feet, mm-hmm. standing in line, refusing to get out of line of the cafeteria. There were about 300 kids for that lunch period. So she was chicken patty or die in that moment. Yeah, she was I, I will not leave this line until that there chicken was, patty is on my plate. <laughs> there is nothing else Fair that she wanted was chicken patty. And she wasn't going to do anything yeah. until she yeah, got that it. That is the hill she was going to die yeah. on. Yeah, the... the best part about this story is the week before they must have tried it, or like whatever the cycle before was, they must have tried a new company mm-hmm. and they had spicy chicken patties how <laughs> dare you how <laughs> dare you replace my chicken patty with a spicy chicken patty so she had already had a bad experience with the chicken patty three weeks prior yeah uh, with the spicy chicken and patty was not letting that unexpected one go. let me mm-hmm. guess was not gonna let that one go nope so she threw a fit and you know we have such a strong team of people that there were um the administrator and a couple of other teachers came over to help support her and just sort of didn't really talk to her, but remained close. Um, I think, you know, and, and they were able to de-escalate it in, in an appropriate way where she didn't 
escalate more. Mm-hmm. They were able to get her away from the environment, get her in a smaller space. I think in that, one of the things that I always question in those type of scenarios when you have so many kids seeing what happened yeah. is how do you actually debrief with the rest of them so that there's not rumors or... Um, or stigma. We, yeah. Or like, you know, they're they're thinking about that. I mean, not to, you know, but that kid did something weird or, you know, they're talking now about it in a negative way or making fun. And how do you break it down for them? Well, and I think for teachers too, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, uh, so you're debriefing with the kids, you're debriefing with the teachers in those situations where it's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, as someone who works in special ed field, and many of you probably feel the same way, and you definitely do, mm-hmm. is that just wouldn't phase me at all but I have to take perspective of how other how the kids the 300 kids that are trying to eat lunch and just listening to someone screaming or she's refusing to move in the lunch line so how they can get their well, lunch in 20 minutes we all can relate though and I think this is what's great about well it's such an interesting thing right we all can relate to something like that happening we're disappointed we expected x and we got y we may not hold up a line of people we may not you know, stomp our feet and scream, but we all can relate to that disappointment. And I think for students who don't have the emotional uh, language, the self-regulation, the flexible thinking yet, we're talking growth mindsets, we'll get there, they'll get there. They don't have it yet. So whereas another student of the same age could say, well, that stinks. I really wanted that today. I guess I have to be flexible. I mean, they may not think it through that way, but you have somebody who can't do that yet. So I think that people can understand that level of disappointment because we all feel that way. You go to, you know, get a coffee and um, I mean, I feel like I'm using a personal example. You ask for espresso in that coffee, you drive away and you're like, gosh, darn it. There's no espresso in this coffee. Do I pull over to the side of the road? Or actually, do I stop dead in traffic and scream and yell and stop everyone and say, I will not move until someone gets me my espresso. No, clearly you can't do that. So it's also just a teachable moment that we all we can all relate but we're just dealing with it we're at a better place to deal with it than maybe she is at that moment and we need to teach her the tools to be able to deal with it because she's probably going to have a lot of those you know especially kids that are a little more rigid and black and white thinkers we need to teach the the flexibility but i think you're right about teaching others around her the acceptance of hey she's just not where you're at yet and she'll get there well i think it's important i'm glad you brought up your uh potential meltdown your espresso meltdown because that happens all the time i mean i was at a concert last night and trying to get out of the the stadium and having to wait in line and these people in front of me just turned and started talking and i'm like it's 11 30 at night Mm -hmm. all of us just want to go home please just keep moving and instead of having a big reaction and running up there and screaming in their faces i waited patiently nice job people in front of me may have subtly reminded them to hurry up but you know, I think you was just, it like the the one finger encouragement to move yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> it was a one Maybe finger. double. I don't yeah. know. Double. It was double. Double it encouragement. Was double. Yep. Yeah. Double encouragement yeah. from from more than one person. And maybe an, a hearty eye roll yeah. to go with it. <laughs> I may have had the hearty eye <laughs> roll, but no. I just think it puts into perspective of like how your reactions match situations mm-hmm. and how we need to make those connections for kids. Yeah. So love it. Now we can segue from one. Um, I wouldn't say that was a sensory thing. Well, in some ways it was because the spicy patty was just not of the palate. You know, this this palate wasn't ready for it. Um, but we've had, you know, the, the cases of students who really do not like or nor can tolerate based on sensory issues and other concerns, the sound of someone chewing in their vicinity or and or the smell or the knowledge that someone dares to be eating anywhere within a, I don't know, 20 feet radius of their location so 
I would like as the student, please do not eat near me. Don't eat anywhere close where I can see you. Certainly don't bring something that smells like anything. If you're walking into this classroom and you are eating something, please turn around and exit promptly. Now, we all know this is not a way to function in the world because people are going to do things around you that you cannot control. So rather than trying to control what other people are doing, what do we ask them to work on? Controlling their reaction, right? Asking, maybe asking in an expected way, removing yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, one of, I, I would say, argue that maybe one of our top 10 favorite kids from many years ago that we worked together with sure would scream and yell at people about chewing mm-hmm. anywhere in the classroom not mm-hmm. even sitting not even next, next to her, to, next to nope. her right now i mean mm-hmm. anywhere and the other thing i remember about her is she hated the smell of oranges mm-hmm. and anytime and of course in our, in our classrooms we had plenty of fruit for kids the other that one that's hungry. tricky is bananas when they yep. don't like bananas yep those are that's a that's a fan <laughs> favorite well, or do you remember the student every time they made grilled cheese in the cafeteria, he couldn't go down there because mm-hmm. and you know the what? smell of burnt cheese? I would like to make that little connection sign that we do. Like, I get you, buddy, because I agree. Nasty. Smell of burning cheese. Not a fan. I wouldn't notice it. Oh, okay. Well, so there we yeah. But right, learning the tolerance of, you know, the world isn't going to... I think this is such a hard lesson for, especially kids that... Um, you know, are on the autism spectrum and, and really any kid that's looking for control, whether, you know, from emotional, um, issues and things, but that idea that the world isn't going to necessarily cow, you know, cow, what's the word? Cow, 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 cater, cater. I don't know. There's a word out there I'm looking for. They're not going to stop what they're doing because you don't like something. And I think this is, this always becomes a, almost like a fade process because we start with, really trying to maybe ask we do I, I think we've done this where we ask kids in the room and adults in the room like for the the short term can we be a little more mindful of what we're eating and how we're eating in this space but we do then that work around like initially starting with external we're controlling some of the external for this child but then we work on how are we now teaching you how to advocate for yourself and how to manage this because you just can't act this way in the world when someone's doing something you don't like so it and and i always as an ot i always talk about there's a lot of sensory input in the environment that we just can't avoid I can't always stop it from being noisy somewhere. I can't stop that it smells weird somewhere or that you don't like the feel of something or it's too hot or it's too cold. Or it's, We have to figure out ways to deal with that. So part of that education for kids is, you know, how can you remove yourself or how can you advocate for what you need? We also talk about if you kind of ride these waves with them, a lot of times maturing nervous systems do learn how to adapt to that with less reactions. We just need to wait that out. But in the short term, especially really bright kids who have a lot of language can use their words to talk to people about, hey, like, would you mind just chewing that over there for a little, you know, just until you're done, then I would love to keep talking to you. Or like, can I take a walk? I'm going to tell you, as someone who cannot stand when someone chews and talks at the same Mm -hmm. time, it really grinds my gears. Yeah. Uh, but I manage it and I don't yell at anyone about it right if well, I'm, I'm hearing it. Or especially if they're not someone don't. that knows me very well uh-huh. and knows I can't. If they know I don't like it, then mm-hmm. maybe I have a bigger reaction. But for the most part. Yeah. Um, but the one of the students that we are referencing also hated sniffing. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me was so hard because you never realize when you're actually sniffing. It's such a subconscious. Do you? Now I want to because you I said know. it. <laughs> I never do. And I just remember I would sit and take breaks with him and he'd be like, can you stop sniffing? And he would say it's so appropriate to me, but yeah. anytime it was a peer in the room, especially well, one he didn't like, it was like, stop sniffing. Unfortunately, that that was a domino effect around him because it was the sniff, 
then the stop sniffing, then the I'm sorry for sniffing, and then the he wasn't talking to you, kid X. So that became a chain of events for like four students. And it was, it was comic, <laughs> honestly time. comic, but very disruptive. That it was like, I think there's that commercial in the Bud, was it the Budweiser? Where it's yeah. like Budweiser. Bud and that's not, no product placement there. I'm not, not endorsing. Oh, I, no, not I'm endorsing. not, I'm, I don't but, prefer Bud, Budweiser. But, uh, <laughs> it was reminded me of that because it was just the same reaction. Sniff, stop sniffing. I'm sorry, he's not talking to you. Sniff, stop sniffing. I'm sorry, he's not talking to you. As though, like, you know, it's like whack-a-mole. Like, which one do you talk to first? Like, you don't have to say sorry if that's a bodily function that you're doing. You don't have to tell him that that's not who he's talking to. You don't have to... Yes. <laughs> so, and ultimately, really what we're trying to do is talk to the student. And, of course, as we know, the, the sniffer is going to keep sniffing yeah, he was... because that reaction is too beautiful and perfect to not keep eliciting <laughs> and then to pretend like i didn't know i did that yeah. meanwhile in his head he's like yeah got well, him again and you can relate to so many things in a larger classroom size with that mm-hmm. you know because especially our middle schoolers who are wanting to make friendships wanting to build connections and so something happens where they get any kind of reaction and it's like, forget oh, it's, it. Now yeah, it's going to continue glorious. on and on it's and glorious. on. Um, but to go back to the sensory thing, if for those of you listening, there's a really good YouTube video that I think is appropriate for kids and adults. Um, and I use that a lot of my trainings is um, if you Google search like autism, kid with autism mall or something oh, like that. Yes, yeah. It's a really good perspective of how sensitive kids ears are, mm-hmm. for example, to those things. And so you make these assumptions that they're just trying to annoy their peers or that they're just, you know, nitpicking kids they may or may not enjoy being around. But there is, you know, such a reality to it. And I think that to me that video shines a really well, nice light on it. There's also another one that is more cartoonized where it's just showing the overload and how uh basically how we're, the child is sustaining it sustaining it sustaining it it's a barrage to his sensory system and it just keeps piling on piling on until he loses it or like just has a meltdown yeah. and i do think it's something you know i i of course will go on the uh the soapbox about sensory versus behavior and those type of distinctions but um a student recently who um, historically has had a lot of challenges on on field trips in the summer um, said to me or asked me you know about the summer this year and I said you know there's there's uh, multiple field trips happening and he said to me well I hope we're not going swimming because I don't like that I have to sit in a wet bathing suit and I really don't Fair. like this I really don't like the sand and it gets too hot and I don't like how it long it takes to get there and it's just not for me but this is a kid who could not give us those words and that language and make those connections. And we've finally gotten there, which is why I always love to talk about that maturity and that, that what you're doing works, the teaching you do, even in the moment, if it feels like it's not getting through, that is working. It just takes time. And for kids to finally be able to tell you, well, this is why I melted down two years ago in the parking lot on a field trip, because it was too hot and I didn't like the sunscreen and I didn't like the wet bathing suit that's an amazing place to get to. And we start to really see a lot of growth when kids are able to identify those things. Yeah, I think that is really cool to see. And I think sometimes it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're in those moments with them and you feel like you're repeating yourself time after time mm-hmm. after time again of like, you know, this is the plan. Here's what we're doing. Let's try this. Change. The plan doesn't change, you know, and sitting in your uncomfortable uncomfortability got it well yeah i think it's teaching kids that they do have to sit with some discomfort we all do we can't 
fight our way out of every discomfort or freeze or run away. We have to begin to engage in the feeling. It's, it's, I may not be comfortable all the time. This may not be what I want to do all the time. This may not be the most engaging subject. This may not be the most fun part of my day. That's not what we're here for. Not everything is about engaging you and having like, it's about engaging you, but not everything should be fun or your preference all the time or your safety zone. What you're comfortable with is all we're going to do. And we're never going to push you as anyone who's ever felt uncomfortable and then pushed through it knows a lot of growth happens when you learn to break that through that discomfort. I had a student who was highly, highly anxious uh, when she came to us about everything and anything, crowds, classrooms, uh, change in plan, things that were challenging, things she didn't want to do, and um, very rigid, had a, a certain uh, narrow scope of interests that I think it was very beneficial to know about because those interests always help uh, kids buy in. So it was having those interests and knowing those interests and becoming an adult who could use those interests to motivate and become an identifiable adult to her that, you know, I know this person understands what I like and I can start to kind of build that relationship and trust this person. But I purposely, um, and I just revealed this to her recently, <laughs> um, when, when she was younger, I purposely would, so we'd always have to walk the same route to the bus every day from the classroom. And I was always the person that did that because I just really enjoyed um, being with her. And so I would make my, I'd, I'd volunteer to be the person to escort her to the bus. And we had to go the same route. Otherwise she would get very anxious. We had to walk the same way every day. And I purposely would make up scenarios that we'd have to go a different way. Oh, sorry, this way is blocked today. We have to go this way. And it would, and I always used to joke that she'd sing opera because her response was, ah, no. Nah. <laughs> and um, I'd say, oh, are we singing opera again? Oh, oh, oh sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. And at first it was extremely unsettling for her. Even the thought, and again, something that people may look at from the outside and say, why is that such a big deal? You're still going to the bus. Who cares if you took a left instead of a right? For her, it was very um, unnerving. It made her feel uncomfortable. It made her feel like she wasn't in control, that it was different and what could happen. It wasn't predictable. And that was exactly the point. Let's start introducing you know, less predictability and sometimes there's a curveball. And the more that we've done that over the years with many, many things, this kid has blossomed and is so much more flexible, so much more tolerant, so much more able to live in discomfort and exist with that discomfort and know how to manage it in ways that don't disrupt learning or social situations and is then more receptive to more challenges. We can just keep building on the challenges because she could do, you know, it seems so silly, but you start with, I just changed this one direction to get to the bus. Now it's like you can add 17 things that change and she's going with the flow. Well, I remember too, you used to come visit me in my office with her and she, I remember you used to offer or like slowly work her up to going to the bus by herself. Mm -hmm. And it was like, so, you know, I'll walk with you today, but tomorrow, or I'll walk you halfway. And it was just those baby steps each time. And she just flourished. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's, we want to see progress. And as, as people that do this work, you obviously love to see the progress and it feels so rewarding and, and validating for what we do all the time. But being able to reflect back and if you know if you stay in a place long enough to be able to see that progress with students it's such an amazing thing to watch because you do you know you get uh, to really see how it works and i think that that also helps us overcome discomfort you know and being able to prove to ourselves hey this does work and it may not work for every kid the same way it may not work as well for every kid but you do see that consistency 
those connections, being creative, um, pushing kids a little when they're when you can and challenging them does have great results oftentimes in the end. And that we're just hoping to, to get them to be people who can function in society. Well, and, and I think too, when they're in a place where they can hear that stuff or when they're starting to really settle into themselves and, and understand and hear and trust in someone to help work with him on the, them on those things, you can start building in those examples of like, wow, that was a big reaction. If, if you had to wait in line at a bank or mm-hmm. like just, or connecting, connecting to real life situations, like you're going to walk by oranges yeah. at a, at a grocery store. Like, are you going to scream and yell at people that there are oranges in the grocery store? How are we going to, or well, bananas? You a, and I think what's really important is you can't necessarily start there for everybody. Right. And that's something too. Like I think it's it, the, I think the, those of us who can tolerate sitting near an orange are are gonna say, well, I mean, come on, we're around oranges all the time. You know, you go to the grocery store. We want to get get those real life examples and kind of say like, all right, move on from that. You can't always start there. Mm-hmm. Kids aren't ready to hear that part of it. So I think it's the validating. And again, maybe we externalize at first. Maybe we just do ask people if you're gonna eat an orange, just for a short term. Could you maybe be a little further away? Or we respect that, but we also I think. What's really important in, in thinking of this particular student that we were talking about earlier, it was the way he responded to people doing that. So at first it was maybe coaching around this person. You could nicely ask this person to step outside of the classroom, but there's a way to do that. So if you're going to demand them to leave or you're going to swear at them or yell at them or toss a desk over, that's not how to get the person to respond to you. So maybe the first step is just how do you ask the person, how do you deal with your response to them doing it in a, in a more pro-social way, then we work up to how do you tolerate it? Which is, that's a situation where I love the incredible five point scale. Mm-hmm. Pretty, I mean, that's pretty well known at this point, but mm-hmm. we can post some of those resources online. But I mean, I feel like you have the reaction size and you can do it all around the loudness of the sniff mm-hmm. you could. <laughs> or the loudness of the chew. Wait, could you handle a, a sniff of a one? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I, how's, it, how's a one sniff is like a whisper sniff. Yeah. I mean, we all know the five sniff. That the probably, five, that probably uh, pushes most of the us The five sniff is like a nose blow. Yeah. Um, so, well, Raleigh, that was fun reminiscing and going back in time. Well, Danielle, I agree. <laughs> we'll definitely cover topics like this again. It's always fun to regroup and just have a light episode about our stories and our history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you have a topic for us today. Yeah, the topic today is uh, what is the biggest thing, or let me let me make sure I get the biggest thing you have ever won. Oh, well, that now has different meaning now that I see it the second time. But whatever, what's the biggest thing you've ever won? So I, you know, aside if I take money out of it because mm-hmm. I didn't want one time win a thousand dollars on a scratch ticket. That was very exciting. Humble brag. Humble, humble brag. Um, but <laughs> in college, I really was a big fan of Jaw Rule. Mm-hmm. And he was doing a... This is pre-Fire Festival scandal. Oh, way before. I'm just, you know, this is back in like 2002. I just want to make sure people know that you're not supporting that. No, not supporting it at all. Nope. I don't think he knew what he was doing. Uh, You know what? (laughs) I'm not going to uh, acquit him of something Okay. (laughs) So we, I would have all my friends in college call the radio station because he was doing a private concert for just a hundred guests. Did you have to sleep in FEMA tents and eat bread and tomatoes? No, it was just at a... Like, I feel like it was a restaurant. But anyway, I ended anyway. up winning the tickets after... So clearly he was doing really well. <laughs> after lots and lots of calling attempts. Yeah. Uh, but I finally won, and I was very proud of that moment. Excellent. How about you? So, I I guess this technically counts, but um, it was Pearl Jam tickets, so also in college. And I just remember that I was at a club, and they were pulling names out of a hat. 
and they distinctly said, oh, sorry, ladies, this is a male winner. <laughs> and I turned to my friend and I said, it's me. <laughs> and I said, and if it is me, you're going up because the contest to win the tickets was that you needed to bob for cow tongue in a vat of milk. Oh that God, is a disgusting. fact. That is true. That it was, That's what was happening in the 90s. And she agreed that she would go pretend to be me and would go and bob for cow tongue. And well, guess what? Lo and behold, Raleigh was the winner. Nice. And I said, called it. Um, had some experience with my name over the years to know that that was gonna that could be the possibility. <laughs> that was me. And uh, <laughs> she was able to go up there. And so the prize was four tickets if you pulled the cow tongue out in, in a chunk, in a hole. Ugh. I'm sorry. To, you know, sorry. I should have warned everyone. Don't be eating when I tell the rest <laughs> of the story. And ultimately, she was able to pull a piece of the cow tongue. So that's even grosser. Yep. And what they decided was they would only give us two tickets instead of the four, but still winner. Winner. Well, guess who took the other two tickets that we found out when we got to the concert? Who? The two people hosting the contest. (laughs) So, and then we were very concerned because we had to pretend that I was her and she was me because we said that I wasn't Raleigh, she was Raleigh. So that was quite an event. So, I mean, that was more about the experience of winning versus like the, I mean, obviously concert tickets are not the biggest thing, but just the the story behind it. Yeah, it's always, I love a good, story of winning something do you yeah okay. <laughs> i wonder are there any podcasts about that or books that you, if anybody could recommend Maybe we could expand our horizon yeah and, uh, i love a good winning a prize story it's really a good winning a prize yeah. story. the goodreads book giveaways those okay. are pretty good okay. Okay. anyway all right we've uh been talking enough yeah. so <laughs> thanks everyone for listening please please follow us on all of our social medias facebook instagram twitter and linkedin at unstuck podcast one we got our first comment recently yeah it was very exciting thank you so much uh we appreciate everyone listening and we hope that you enjoyed this episode thanks thank you bye